Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Jerry with the message. Is that normally in summer, what generally happens is because we're not doing our normal rhythms, because things get a little off, generally people experience a spiritual kind of slump in the summer because we people generally like routine and we do best when we have structure to our days and summer maybe we have a summer structure but it's different from what we're used to and so i want to invite you we are going through the book of first peter this whole summer and so i want to invite you we've done this before to read the book of first peter throughout the summer It's really helpful to have a place where you feel grounded. It's not a very long book, so you probably could read it a couple times through the summer. And I really think that as we are reading God's word and hearing about God's word here, that there's something that God wants to form in us as we do that. So I would just invite you as a church family to read through the book of 1 Peter for the summer. It'll be interesting to see who we are right at the end of this summer. And maybe this could be a summer where we don't have a little bit of a slump. And so I want to start by telling you a little story, as I often do. I am from Altoona. I was born and raised. I don't know. Some of you know that. Some of you maybe don't. And growing up, I really felt close to my family, especially my mom. They were a grounding force in my life, and I knew that whenever I needed something, that they were there, that they would either fix it or help me fix it. And so whenever I went to college, I went to Mount Aloysius, which is not very far away, 20 minutes away. If you drive the speed limit, one time I got there in 13 minutes. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. I was young and dumb. But anyway, now it takes me 20, so we can all like exhale. It's okay, I'm a grown up now. But it's not far away, is my point. And as I look back, I think a lot of that is because I needed that grounding force of my family close by. When I went to college, I had lots of questions about how to do life. And when I did, I would just call my parents and they would try to walk me through. Generally, they would just show up and fix it. There are lots of times that my dad would come and fix my car, or he often, this happened multiple times, he would come and just put his hand on it and tell it to work in the name of Jesus, and it did. It's my dad. If you don't know my dad, he's an amazing spirit-filled man. But I had this grounding force in my life. But then in my senior year of college, I met a boy who lived 10 hours away in Indiana, and I fell in love. And really, in the first week of chatting on the phone for eight hours a night, I knew he was the one that I was going to marry, and I told him that. Now, just caveat, I would not recommend that. The truth is I was right, but it, it took some getting over, right, having that conversation. So it didn't seem like a big deal to me to just pack all my things into my little white Ford Tempo and drive 10 hours away to move to be close to the man of my dreams. It seemed like it would be just fine. I was so in love. And so I got a job in Indiana, Terre Haute, Indiana, if you're familiar. It smells really bad there. Um, But I got a job in Terre Haute, Indiana in a hospital so I could be close to Derek, this guy who I was sure I was going to marry. 
So I got a, you know, 350 square foot studio apartment, got my big girl job, and I was ready. I could not have imagined any problems that I would have because I was pretty successful before in Altoona with my people around me who fixed my problems for me. But then a week went by or two weeks and my laundry needed to be done. And I'm a little bit ashamed to say I had never done my own laundry to that point. I would bring it home during college and my mom would wash it like a little magic laundry fairy. It would be washed and folded and ready for me to put away. Every single meal that I had to eat, I had to plan and cook and shop for. Managing my finances was not something that I did on my own. So I got there and as many of you know, you can't know what you don't know until you're faced with a problem. And so I was very confused and far from home. Not only that, not only were these things in me that were not really jiving with the world around me, but the people in Indiana talk weird. I don't know if you've been there, but they call every single kind of soda Coke. So people would ask me, do you want a Coke? And I would be like, no, I said I wanted root beer. And they're like, okay, I'll get you a Coke. That's not what I want. And so there would be this confusion. Not only that, but a lot of them say, like, golly and gee whiz as actual things in their everyday language. Like, I thought that was just something that Ned Flanders said on Bart Simpson. But these people, like, actually say these things as if they're part of normal language. I was so confused. What is this weird world that I'm in? But the worst thing was that pretty much... Every single time that it rains in Indiana, there's a tornado warning. And I can remember my first tornado warning. We don't have tornado warnings really in Altoona, right? Because we have these beautiful, protective mountains around us. But Indiana, it is flat as a pancake. And so every single time it rained, there was a tornado warning. And I can remember the first one. I, like, grabbed all my stuff. I grabbed a blanket, some food, the phone, and I got in the bathtub because these people don't have basements, even though they have tornadoes all the time. I don't really get it. But I got in the bathtub and waited for this tornado to come and kill me because that's what I was sure was going to happen. And this happened again and again and again. And Derek was like, what are you doing? Why are you in the bathtub? It's a tornado. So it was very jarring, to say the least, for me to move from Altoona, Pennsylvania, where all my family lived, to this place far, far away where they say golly and gee whiz, and the person who knew me the most had known me for eight months. Derek knew me for eight months, and he was the one who knew me most deeply. And so I was really confused, and I struggled a lot. I felt really vulnerable and powerless, and I missed home. And maybe some of you can resonate with that. I think that happens when you get married. You know, you come from this way of doing things. This person comes. You come together with this other person who has a way of doing things. You know, there's more than one place where you can store the ketchup. Did you know that? And people have really strong opinions about that. You find that out when you get married. Maybe you've gone away to college, or maybe you've gotten divorced, and you have this way of living your life, and all of a sudden, you have to do things completely different 
and it's confusing. Maybe you've had a baby recently or ever. That changes your life for the rest of your life. So maybe you've felt this confusing way of being where you're not really sure how to show up in this new place. Today we're beginning a sermon series, like I said, through the book of First Peter, and it's called Strangers in a Foreign Land. And the reason is because Peter is writing to Christians who are dispersed throughout Asia Minor, what we would call Asia Minor, um, and he's teaching them how to live in that place that's not their home. He's encouraging them to remember who they are, to remember their faith in Jesus, and to really live it out. He reminds them that their home, their actual home, is not on earth, but the kingdom of heaven where God is. Like ours, all Christians share that same home. And so Peter's writing to them to remind them about that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get in a little bit with context. God, I just welcome you here this morning. I thank you that your presence is everywhere. But God, that also you can turn our hearts to you. I pray that you would do that this morning. Holy Spirit, would you infiltrate every part of our being? Help us to say yes to you in all the ways that we should. I pray that you would help me to say the things that I should say and not the things that I shouldn't. Speak to people's hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And so 1 Peter has been called the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and the conduct that it inspires. So basically, Peter is writing to these people and saying, this is what it means to follow Jesus and encouraging them to do it. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is how you do it. And so all throughout 1 Peter, that's what it's talking about. And Peter is writing from Rome to a group of areas that are outside of Rome and encouraging them. So what has happened is the Roman Empire has decided to take over other areas of land. And he's writing to the Christians in those areas of land. They're now what's now considered Turkey. And in the scripture you'll hear it's Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those are the, the Christians that he's writing to in those areas. And again, these places are not in Rome. Scholars debate whether he's writing to Jewish converts to Christianity or Gentile, that is non-Jewish converts to Christianity. Because of the way it's written, it sort of seems like he's writing to both, like a mixed group. He talks about, seems like he expects them to have some understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, but he also says in one place, you've, been in, you've inherited um, an inheritance of sin, which is not something that he would have said to the Jewish converts who were God's chosen people. So it seems like a mixed group of people that he's talking to. And it seems like scholars sort of come down on the fact that probably Peter wrote this letter to them toward the end of his life in the 60s AD. So that's about 30 years after Jesus has been hung on the cross, died, buried, and resurrected, and then gotten to be with God. So this is 30 years about after Jesus has walked the earth. And the emperors of Rome in that time between Jesus' death and 
now in 1 Peter have had differing levels of disdain for Christians. It seems like this was probably written around the reign of the Emperor Nero. And Nero was known for being very impulsive in his ideas and how he ruled. He was, he was made emperor when he was 17 years old. Can you imagine? 17. I was, you know, flying to Mount Aloysius in 13 minutes when I was even older than that. So can, you can imagine the kind of decisions that he was making. Um, and so Nero was known for, again, just doing whatever pleased him. And in around this time, in 64 AD, there was a fire in Rome that was rumored to have been set by Nero so that he could level the area to expand his, his uh, castle, to expand the place with his palace. But he didn't like that. That doesn't go well if you burn down people's homes in order to make a bigger palace. So rather than accepting blame for that, whether he did it or not, we're not sure, he blamed the Christians. He said it was the Christians who did that. And so there was all this persecution on Christians at that time. And not even just they didn't like the Christians. Nero was known for the ways that he had Christians killed. He had them rounded up. Often he would cover them with animal skins and let dogs attack them. Or another way that he was known for killing Christians is that he would light them on fire and just let them burn. And so even at night, they wouldn't light the the lights to light the street. They would just walk by the fire of the burning Christians. And so that's what was going on at the time or around the time that Peter wrote. And so whether it is actually in the reign of Nero or not, what we know for sure is that Rome was colonizing these areas where the Christians live. And what we know about colonization is that there's a strong emphasis on conformity. So Rome was saying, go to these places and make them like Rome. Go make them do the things that we do. And here are these Christians who many of their ways are very counter to Roman ways. And so this is the context where we find this letter that Peter's writing. Christians are in persecution, for sure. And we see this in chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And then again in chapter 2, it talks about how to suffer well because the Christians are suffering. I don't think anybody in this room has suffered persecution like what I described, right? I don't think we live under the fear that we're going to be covered in animal skins and attacked by dogs. But what is true is that progressively, societally, it is becoming a little bit more taboo, maybe a lot more taboo to be a Christian and actually follow the ways of Jesus. Maybe it's okay to say you're a Christian, but when the rubber really meets the road and you want to do the things that Jesus did, sometimes we're looked at with disdain. When we think about, for example, the ways that the Bible talks about relationships and marriage, or what the Bible talks about how we are supposed to love, actually love and welcome the poor and the foreigner, people who are different from us, that is where we find that not everybody believes the same way 
that we do. And I want to make it clear that in America, for the most part, Christians are not really experiencing the level of persecution that I'm talking about from 1 Peter, right? It doesn't really do the Christians who actually are being persecuted for their faith, who are being killed, it doesn't do them any service. It's a little bit of an injustice for us in America to say that we're experiencing persecution. There are people in China, Burma, India, Iran, North Korea who actually are being killed for their faith. And if people just think we're weird... It doesn't really uh, jive to put it on the same level. So I want to distinct, make a distinction there. But that's not to say that we don't experience some level of discomfort or ridicule for the beliefs that we have. That it is hard for us sometimes to stand up for the things of Jesus because the culture, the flow of culture goes so opposite often to the ways that we're called to live. And so it's, we feel confused when we're just trying to do the things that Jesus has asked us to do and people don't like us for it. It can be jarring and unsettling when we know we're just trying to do what God has asked us to do and we experience pain of any sort and suffering because of it. And it's into that confusion into that common suffering, even though there's differing levels that Peter writes. And it seems, he seems to indicate that the Christians that he's writing to are experiencing some level of temptation to either let go of their faith or to waver, to sort of conform in the ways that they live out their faith. And I wonder if anybody resonates with that. If as we look at the tide of culture which we live in, are we experiencing some temptation to say, I don't know if this is really worth living for. I'm not sure if Christianity or the ways of Jesus have uh, proven that it's worth me experiencing this level of pain. And so maybe I'm not going to do that anymore because I don't get it. Or maybe I'll cut corners. Maybe I will have this personal faith that's just for me, but I won't tell anybody about it. It won't cost me anything. I'll just keep it to myself. I wonder if we're experiencing ever any temptation to do the same things that the Christians in First Peter are experiencing temptation to do. And I think that we'd be lying to ourselves if we didn't at least sometimes have those thoughts that it would be easier to just go along with the flow. So it's into that culture, into that experience, into that historical setting that Peter writes, and I think that it has huge impact for the Christians in what is now considered Turkey, but I think it has huge impact for the Christians in what is now considered America. So we're going to look at the scripture here and glean out what it is that God's calling us to through 1 Peter. We're going to look at the, the scripture, 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. 
It's not going to be on the screen because I completely forgot to give it to Rebecca. I apologize. There are Bibles up here if you'd like to look. Everybody has a phone. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So Peter begins by telling these people, the people that he's writing to, who they are. And what he says is, you are exiles, strangers in a foreign land. He starts by separating them from the people that they're with. The definition of exile is people who are sojourning in a foreign land and who are not at home. So people who are living their life journeying through in some place that is not their home. And he separates them and says, you're not, this is not your home. Don't get too comfortable here. You actually don't belong here. And because of the historical context, that is a physical, this is not the place where you are from, but also a spiritual home. This is not the place where you should feel comfortable. There should be some dissonance between the world around you and the ways of the people around you and what you know to be right. You are now citizens of the kingdom of God. And that is what we are. If we have decided that we want to follow Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, we are now not at home. No matter where you are, I was born in Altoona Hospital. This is my hometown, but this is not my home. No matter where I go, my home is never changing. It is where God is. It is the kingdom of heaven. So while there's some familiarity about the protective mountains and the way people speak, this is not my home. And it should feel a little bit like that. We should feel a little bit uncomfortable because there's ways of the world that are just going that are counter to the ways of my home, of your home. But we don't like that, right? That makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. When I moved to Terre Haute, Indiana, to be with this fantastic boy and work in a hospital. Um, there was a woman who I worked with pretty much every day, and she said things that I did not like to hear. She often would um, belittle people because of their socio socioeconomic status, um, maybe their race or ethnicity. And I was 21, 22 years old, and I really was not sure how to deal with that. And so often I would just sort of turn away from the conversation or move away. But one time, this was nearing our marriage when Derek and I were going to, you know, get married. We, you know what that means, marriage. Um, 
So I was talking about how we were going to find another apartment, how I was going to move out of my 350-square-foot studio apartment. We were going to find a bigger apartment, move in together after we got married. I was talking about where that could be. And she said to me, well, you probably want to stay away from this one area because it's really the colored area of town. Yes, I know. Um, And so I was faced with a dilemma, right? She had said something and expected me to just go along with something that was very counter to the ways of my home, of my value system. And I could just change the subject, which is what I often did. Or I could take a hold of the value system of my true home and say, mean by that? I could push back a little bit, create dissonance in this flow of the way things have always been in order to bring a bit of my home, the kingdom of heaven, to earth. I had a choice to make in that moment. And we are faced with those choices every single day. Maybe they're not that blatant. Maybe people wouldn't know whether you did the thing that was the way Jesus would do it or not. But every single day, we are faced with choices. Are we going to go with the flow of this place where we currently reside? Or are we going to look to our heavenly home and say, how would things be done there? How do I reach into the value system of my home and bring that to this moment? I think if we think about the fact that you and I are exiles in a foreign land, that our home is not here, there are three characteristics that I think it's really important for us to understand and become comfortable with so that we can be the people that Jesus has asked us to be in this place. The first thing is that exiles are misunderstood. The ways of Jesus are not the ways of the earth, of this world, right? And so oftentimes when we try to press in and do the thing, the hard thing especially, that God is asking us to do, or even that we've seen Jesus do in the Bible, the people around us just don't get it. They don't understand why we would do the hard thing when it would be easier just to go with the flow and do the thing that everyone else is doing we have a choice there too right because christians what i see christians often doing or sometimes doing is getting mad that people don't get it but they're not supposed to get it that is not their home how would they understand if that's not their home and so we have a choice to make in those situations are we going to be okay to be misunderstood maybe even help people understand Are we going to go with the flow because it's easier? Saying yes to Jesus is not just changing our goals and changing our values such that they more align with his. Saying yes to Jesus is taking every single thing that we are or thought we were and throwing it to the ground, dying to who we used to be when we were, this world was our home, and saying, okay, Jesus, give me a new 
set of values. Not change mine, give me yours. I lay mine down for what you will offer me. And asking the Holy Spirit to recreate in us who we were always intended to be. It's not these little character changes that we make. It's completely surrendering and dying to everything that we thought we had before so that we can take a hold of what he has for us. His ways are not the ways of the world, and they're so different that the ways that we had before can't just be tweaked so that they line more with his the second thing is that exiles do not work within the power structure of the foreign land in which they reside. What Peter did not say to the Christians was, why don't you buddy up to the emperor, do some favors for him, give him some money so that he'll like you and do what you want, so that he'll believe you. What Peter did not say to the Christians is, why don't you just amass giant levels of wealth for yourself so that you will have power, and then from the top, you can make decisions about what happens. You can infuse your power for Jesus into the world from the top. Once you get to the top and you've achieved all this worldly power, then you can make things go the way they're supposed to be. That is not what Peter said. But I think that's often what we think we're supposed to do as Christians, that we amass power, that we get power, that our power comes from these worldly ways that the world gets power and uses power. The way of Jesus is to empty yourself of power so that you can get his power The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes in you and moves in power. This way that God works, the way that God's power works is always bottom up. When we are weak, God will make us strong. It's not that we become very strong so that we can bring up the weak. We actually become weak so that God will use us with his power to bring his kingdom to heaven. That's the only way that God's true kingdom comes, is in this crazy reversal of the way we see power used in the world. And let me tell you something. You don't have anything to offer the world. You in yourself, me in myself, I am so aware that I do not have anything to offer I only can offer anyone anything if God gives it to me to offer. That whatever good I will do will be empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring his kingdom. I cannot do that on my own. You cannot do that on your own. We have to be emptied and willing to be filled with God's power such that we can bring his kingdom And just as a little caveat, we often don't even know what that looks like. We can be so filled up or distracted by the ways of the world that we're not even sure what God's kingdom coming in this way, in this time, in this moment might look like. And as soon as we think that we've got it figured out, 
That's a, that's a step in the wrong direction, I would say. God has offered me this prayer recently. That is, God, I have nothing, but you have everything. Please give me what I need. That is to say, I don't even know what I need. <laughs> but you know, and I will trust you to give it to me. This is the way that the power of the kingdom of God works. The third thing is that exiles long for home. Don't we look around at the brokenness of the world and think, man, that's not right. That's not how it should be. There are big world problems like war and hunger, trafficking, racial injustice. We look at those things and we think, that is not right. That is not how it should be. And there are things that are even closer to us. People lie and use and abuse each other. They manipulate. They cut people off. People that we love get sick and die. And we look at those things and we know that's not right. That's not how it should be. And even that longing for rightness points to the fact that there is a place where things are right we can recognize that this thing that's happening in front of us is not the way it should be. And we long for the time when all of those things are be, being made right, when the kingdom of God comes to earth and we see God's perfect will being done. When none of those things that we recognize is really wrong in the world is happening. We long for home. Not only that, but I think we also really, really long to be known. Home is the place where people know you. And I think for some of us, we've been hurt. For some of us, we're really scared. We know who we are. I know my motives and my thoughts. And so we think if someone really knew me, I don't think they would want me. And so we try to do this Christian life on our own. But all of us have this deep longing to really be known and accepted and loved. And we can do that with other people, but God is the one, the only one, who knows all of our stuff. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he invites us in. We long for home where we're known. And I think this is also why it's so important that we have community, that we have people around us. I talk about this all the time. I will never stop. We need people around us who are trying to follow Jesus as well, who have asked Jesus to, to come, the Holy Spirit to come and live in their hearts. The Holy Spirit is a deposit of home inside of us. And so I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, a deposit of home. You have the Holy Spirit. If you've asked Jesus to come and live in your heart and the Holy Spirit to come, then you have a deposit of home inside of you. And so the closest thing that we can get until Jesus comes and brings the kingdom of heaven to earth and the two come together, the closest physical thing that we can get to home is the community 
of believers because we all have this deposit of home inside of us. doesn't matter where you're from. You've probably experienced this. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, there's some familiarity. Even though we can be all different, there's something about other Christians, other Jesus followers that resonates. It's home. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. That is why community is so important. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 say, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. And so we are called to be exiles, to be representatives of home, of where God is here on earth. And that is hard. I think we've all probably experienced some level of that. But good news, this is not an accident. You have been chosen. Look back at 1 Peter. It says, to God's elect... Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And so you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge, God already knew you. It's not an accident that you're just plopped down and asked to be in exile in Altoona, Pennsylvania. God knew. God knew you. He knew every sin you would ever commit. He knew the things that would happen to you. He knew the ways that you'd be formed. He knew the ways that you would fail in the future. God knew. It wasn't just waving a magic wand and closing his eyes and pointing down. He knew. He knows. It's not an accident that you've been chosen for the place where you are. Sometimes it feels that way, right? Doesn't it feel sometimes like we've just happened into a place? But that's not true. God knows exactly where you are, what you've been through, what's coming ahead, and he chose you. It's not a mistake. You've been sanctified and are being sanctified by the Spirit. I think often when we think about being kingdom representatives in the earth, we think about all the things that we know about ourselves and think, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Good news, you don't have to fix yourself. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do that to take a hold of all the things, to heal you, to give you freedom, to be, make you a person who can bring love, joy, peace into circumstances. You don't have to fix yourself, which is like the best news of my life. I can't even tell you when I first realized I didn't have to fix myself how much freedom that brought. So you've been called to a task, but it's the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live this kind of life. And what is the life for? To be obedient to Jesus and saved by his blood. Jesus came and paid your way 
so that you could have a home, so that you could be with God. And not only that, he lived on earth and showed us an example of how to live on earth. We don't have to wonder how we're supposed to be, if we're supposed to be loving, how loving we're supposed to be, how forgiving we're supposed to be. Jesus gave a pretty clear example, in the Gospels especially, how to live. And so we're not left to our own devices to figure it out. There was a representative from home who came to earth and showed us the ways of home. And so we have to be familiar with that. We should be reading about Jesus' life and how to live if we're confused or if we're not confused. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. So we are exiles. We are strangers in a foreign land, no matter where you go. This is not your home. If you've accepted Jesus, this is not your home, and it should feel like that like not your home. But God chose you. It is not a mistake that you're being asked to live in this different way than the people around you. God chose you. God gave you an example. And the Holy Spirit can empower you to live this kind of life. And so as we think about all of that, Throughout the summer, there's, as we go through the book of 1 Peter, there's going to be specific examples about how we flesh that out. There'll be a little bit clearer ways that maybe touch the ground a little bit more about how we can flesh that out. But this is the overview of 1 Peter. In the last few weeks, we had been going through a series um, about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And multiple of you have asked the Holy Spirit to come and fill you again afresh with his power, with his love, with his joy, with his peace, with his freedom. I've gotten to pray for many people who have experienced a tangible, lovely encounter with God's presence. And I really sense that for many of us, the exile part is not hard. That we know that the ways that we're called to live are different than the ways of the world. But I think where we lack sometimes or where we forget sometimes is that we're not supposed to do that of our own power. That is the Holy Spirit that fills us and enables us to live the kind of lives that God has asked us to live and that Jesus has exemplified through his life. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.